square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. A great big thank you goes out to my good friends Frank and Rob Giddings up in the great state of Michigan for opening our podcast each week. <laughs> We've got Rob driving the truck, coming to a stop, uh, opening the door, asking his dad, where's Fielder? And Frank, uh, Mr. Coon Hunter, now 80, soon to be 83 years old and uh, going strong, hunting every night. Wow, what a guy he is and uh, what an impact he's had on the sport. Well, he's the guy that says he's gone to the dogs. I sure do appreciate Frank and Rob for participating this way. When I started this podcast, I wanted uh, to reach out to these guys and other members of the Kunhang community that have been such good friends over the years. I enjoyed many good hunts with Rob and Frank up there and our friend Alan Snedeker and and all the rest. But uh, uh, Rob has a, a dog supply business and builds a, a coon hunting light called the Tall Timber Light. So uh, if you can, uh, uh, you're in the market for a light, uh, Rob is on Facebook, and I'm sure he'd be willing to talk to you about his lights. And uh, But while... Um, you know, I'm I'm remembering these guys today. I just want to tell them publicly how much I appreciate them. You know, I'll be 77 this year uh, in the fall, in October. I think uh, my birthday being in October is probably why I love that month so much. Uh, but if I dig a little deeper, I'd have to say I loved it because the hunting seasons came in in October for me there in West Virginia and as a young kid, you know, the first game that I hunted really besides going coon hunting with my dad was to hunt gray squirrels. We didn't have many fox squirrels. In fact, if we killed a fox squirrel, it was usually up in the National Forest there in Pocahontas County or maybe Greenbrier County. Yeah, up in the high country, we might kill an occasional fox squirrel. But the gray squirrel was my game, and uh, I hunted a lot and I always looked forward to squirrel season coming in around the 15th of October uh, each year. But anyway, as I'm um, looking at uh, double sevens uh, here this fall coming up, uh, I tend to be in a nostalgic mood, you know, as I think back upon my childhood and upon uh, all the events that led me on this journey all these years. And at my age, when I probably should be just sitting back and, and um, you know, uh, reflecting, I guess, I, I still like to stay involved somehow. Uh, this sport has been my life uh, ambition and, and my life's occupation, and now it's my life's entertainment. As I, you know, I browse through social media and I see the posts by all the different guys and and guys that are proudly, you know, uh, bragging actually, like the. Uh, I think it was Yogi Berra or maybe Casey Stengel or one of those old baseball icons said it ain't bragging if you can do it. 
and uh, it's good to to keep up with the sport through social media. And I'm thankful for Facebook. I get aggravated at it a lot of times for the censorship because uh, there's really no free speech there. But uh, they own the platform and they make the rules, so we have to abide by them. But at any rate, you know, just looking back, uh, man, what a what a ride it's been for me. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that as we go along today. I uh, will tell you that uh, I've got a little road trip coming up. In fact, this week, as I'm uh, uh, recording this podcast, it's the second day of May. And uh, this weekend coming up, which will be right behind us by the time you listen to this podcast. Um, I will be up in Pennsylvania, up visiting with my friend Randy Smith. I always enjoy going to Randy's. Uh, They treat me so well when I go up there and I always have such a great time. And and we're going to do some coon hunting. And uh, while I'm up there, I understand that Clayton Stark with Stark Outdoors will be there doing some filming for Randy. He's going to do a, a, put out a video, I believe, on, on his Lone Pine Kennel. And uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of footage from the woods and the different dogs. And also, it's going to be a fun time, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And... Uh, Speaking of traveling, I particularly enjoyed a phone conversation this week uh, with my friend William Brooks. Now, William has the Lone Pine uh, Tree and Walker group on on Facebook, and uh, and William has kind of had his own breeding program going there in uh, in Georgia. He lives in Georgia now. He's originally from South Carolina. But we became friends through Facebook, and I've always enjoyed his posts. And he just made a, about a 2,000-mile drive from uh, down in in South Georgia all the way up to the Defiance, Ohio area to breed his female to uh, uh, Frogger. So, you know, Frogger's getting a lot of company these days. And uh, uh, so anyway... Uh, I got a call from uh, William uh, yesterday, I believe it was, and uh, we talked for a while about his trip, and it was it was interesting to me to hear William's uh, perspective on the territory that I hunted for so many years in West Virginia. Uh, William's uh, trip took him up through Interstate 77, and up through my hometown of Beckley, West Virginia. And uh, William told me about uh, stopping at a rest area or something there along the highway and and talking to someone um, that was traveling as well and talking about those uh, deep uh, canyons and those overlooks and those steep places and uh, he was a little bit taken aback by it because he'd never been up through that part of the country before. But that I was kind of, uh, I always enjoyed telling people about uh, where I used to hunt when I was a kid. And, I, you know, it brings up a subject. You know, we all think that our hunting ter- territory is, is the toughest. It's the most challenging. It's the uh, 
takes the better dog and all that, and I guess I'm no different. Uh, but I often tell people, if you're traveling on Interstate 77, and I pick up 77 when I'm going north in uh, Columbia, Columbia, South Carolina, uh, my route out of Florida takes me up Interstate 95 up to I-26, which goes up by Orangeburg and ultimately into uh, Columbia. And then I pick up I-77 that, that uh, takes me up through Charlotte, North Carolina, and then into the Virginias. And uh, actually, 77 goes right through my hometown of Beckley, West Virginia. Well, before you get to Beckley on top of the mountain, uh, which sits on a plateau, actually, um, up in pretty high country, it's 30-some hundred uh, square uh, square feet, 30-some uh, hundred uh, feet above sea level, um, you'll see uh, at the top of Flat Top Mountain, now, I'm not sure that there's a marker to designate that anymore. There surely uh, used to be. But if you're coming north and you look off to the right, you'll see just an expanse of, of mountains and hollows and rugged-looking country. And that's an area that we commonly call Mountain Creek. And you're north of Princeton, uh, West Virginia, and heading toward Beckley. Um, the nearest, there's, an, uh, there's uh, an exit there, I'm trying to say, in a town called Gent, and that's spelled with an H, G-H-E-N-T. But before you get to that exit and, a toll, and the toll booth there where the good governor of West Virginia is now charging folks, I think, more than $4 each uh, toll. And if you go the entire length of, of the West Virginia, what used to be the West Virginia Turnpike there, there are three toll booths. So he's going to get you for 12 bucks or more. But at any rate, uh, before you get there, you're going to see this great expanse of uh, territory to your right or looking back to the east, which is Mountain Creek, and then over to your left, uh, an equally, if not bigger, expanse of, of mountainous territory uh, that we call Camp Creek. And those were the areas that I hunted most of the time when I was growing up. And after I came home from the Air Force in, in 1973, until the time that I moved to Michigan in 1983. So, um, you know, back in those days, that hunting that territory was no problem for me. Uh, we did have problems uh, keeping up with the dogs. We had no uh, tracking collars at that time, uh, hadn't heard of such. Uh, we were uh, eventually able to come up with the Tritronics uh, um e-collar that somewhat helped us to keep those dogs uh, in line so that we could keep up with them. But anyway, anytime someone like William travels up through that area, I have to, you know, fill them in. <laughs> yeah, man, that's where I used to hunt. 
And they usually say, no way. If I had to hunt that, I'd quit. But you wouldn't. If you loved the sport and you grew up there and all, you learned to hunt it. I do the same thing when I go down to the Smoky Mountain region and I look up at those tall, tall mountains, which are, um, you know, easily twice as tall as the ones around where I grew up. Uh, I think, man, those... Those old boys had to be really tough customers to follow hounds in that kind of territory. And not only were those mountains high, they were, uh, you know, it was a long walk uh, out over one of those ridges and and sometimes over into Tennessee from North Carolina. But at any rate, I enjoyed talking to William, and I wish him the best of luck with his litter. I hope he gets a lot of little frogs uh, down there in Georgia that he, he'll enjoy for a long, long time. As I mentioned just a minute ago about uh, not having any tracking collars, I noticed that Garmin has uh, a sale going on right now. You want, might want to contact your uh, your favorite dog supply dealer. And, of course, mine is the uh, DU Hunting Supply, Buddy Woodbury, Jason Doobie, all those Good folks out there uh, with W Hunting Supply can put you onto this uh, Garmin Tread XL. It's the big one. Uh, it's bigger than the drive track. Uh, the eight, I think it's an eight inch screen. Uh, but at any rate, they rate they have a hundred dollars off on those uh, those units, and I think that'll be universal across the the. Uh, gamut of dog supply places that handle Garmin because they do have a, a strict manufacturer's uh, suggested retail price on their products. I also notice that there's $30 off right now on the bark limiter. So those are just points of information for you. And uh, if you'd like to uh, see what all the hype about the great customer service out at DU Hunting Supply, uh, just look them up online, dusupply.com, and uh, they'll fix you right up. Save you a hundred bucks on the on the tread, and uh, thirty bucks on the bark limiter. Uh, while we're talking about such things, um, I write a, a monthly column—not monthly, actually. It's a bi-monthly because the magazine comes out six times a, month, a year. Uh, I write an article called, uh, <laughs> what is that article called? Uh, it's called Bear uh, Bear Dog Legends, I believe. <laughs> I don't even know the name of the article. I'll think of it here in just a minute. Bear Hunting Magazine is a great publication if you like to hunt bears, uh, whether you're a steel hunter, uh, you know, you hunt uh with a bow, a gun, or a dog, there's a lot of good information on that uh, in each issue of that. Boy, I'm really slaughtering this, aren't I? Uh, I imagine um, the uh, publisher, Colby Moorhead, will forgive me. I sure hope so. He might fire me. But uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to Colby. Colby um, purchased the Bear Hunting Magazine. It was formerly... Uh, published by Clay Newcomb, and um, Colby's doing a great job with it, and uh, 
that series is called Legendary Bear Hounds. And each uh, issue, I pick a dog um, and uh, a deceased bear hound that left behind a legend. And um, most recently, I uh, I did one about uh, uh, my friend over in Virginia that was just on our uh, our podcast. And uh, so I, I'm not going to give you all the details and all all the the articles and the writing and everything. But if you're interested in bear hunting, uh, especially hunting with hounds, there's a lot of editorial. My friend Tracy Jones uh, in Tennessee is now writing a column in uh, in Bear Hunting Magazine. So uh, check them out. They're online. Uh, you can get a, uh, as they used to say <laughs> back in my UKC days, Steve, I, I didn't get my prescription this month, and I just wanted to call you and let you know that I didn't get my magazine. Well, it's not a prescription. It's a subscription, but you can subscribe to Bear Hunters Hunting Magazine. And they also have a digital uh, subscription. And if if you've enjoyed anything I've written in the past, I have an article in there each month, Legendary Bear Hounds. Uh, but I did want to give a shout-out to Colby Moorhead because as you listen to this podcast each week, He's the guy that produces it for us. He uh, he does the editing and, and gets it all ready to go on Al Gore's internet for us each uh, each week. And and what a great guy! And really enjoy Colby and uh, enjoy our conversations I get uh, to have with him. And uh, so anyway, just wanted to say uh, shout out to my friend Colby Moorhead. You know this. Uh, kind of look back in time that I moved that I've been on here lately. I guess it goes with my age. Um, you know, I think uh, all of us, as we get older, we like to kind of look back and think about things that uh, have happened in our past or stories that have been interesting to us and we want to share and, and all. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, I, I wrote the book called uh, gone to the dogs a coon hunter's journey and uh, i named it that because it really has been a journey and as i look back to the very earliest start of my involvement with these hounds what a journey that's been you know as a kid you know i grew up in in southern west virginia and that's coal mining country that's what people do there for a living and uh, I know with all the talk about all electric cars and all these kind of things, um, most of our electricity is generated uh, by coal. And uh, so, you know, that's been a way of life for those people. I've talked about my grandfather, Hatfield, uh, that famous name. Uh, he was a coal miner. My mother was born in a coal mining camp called Rhonda on Cabin Creek. And I recently wrote a piece for American Cooner magazine called Kentucky. And um, it's out now in the upcoming issue, so if you want to catch that. But, 
my grandparents on my mother's side were born in Kentucky, in Floyd County and uh, Johnson County there, and, uh, around uh, West Van Leer, where Loretta Lynn came from. My grandfather was a coal miner. Uh, he later moved to, uh, to West Virginia and uh, there on Cabin Creek. And uh, back during that time, there was a lot of turmoil in the coal mines as uh, they, there were attempts to organize the mines um, and get the union uh, involved. And uh, my family, the stories that come down through my family of my grandfather being involved with uh, those uh, bloody wars that uh, uh, evolved uh, in those days and uh, uh, the March on Logan, West Virginia. And uh, so you can read all of that stuff and, and look it up on, on YouTube or uh, uh, Google it, or you can get the whole history. But uh, as I think back, uh, you know, having grown up in the coal mining region of the country, I'm kind of reminded sometimes of reading the stories of O.L. Beckham out in Joplin, Missouri, as he talked about the hard rock miners out there. Now, I'm not sure exactly what they were mining, uh, copper, lead, I guess. I, I don't know for sure. But uh, O.L. was a great storyteller and had many, many stories of activities that, that happened around those mines and characters that worked in the mines. Well, when I grew up... Uh, my earliest uh, memories of going coon hunting was driving up on those what we called strip jobs. And uh, the way a lot of the coal was mined in that part of the country early on was simply to go in there and blast away the side of the mountain and uh, expose the seam of coal. And then you, you could auger in or you could drive a what they call a drift mouth uh, back into that coal seam and bring that coal out. And um, when they blasted that face of that mountain away, they just kind of shoved it on down the mountain and it rolled. And all that spoil uh, rolled right on down into the creeks and and the acid that was contained in those minerals and all that come out came out of those uh, mining operations, turned the water red, killed all the fish, really made a heck of a mess out of the country. And as a kid, I can remember even going, there's a beautiful state park outside of Beckley. If you ever traveled to that part of the country, you need to make a stop, especially if you're lucky enough to get there in like early June when the rhododendron are in bloom. Uh, there's Grand View State Park, and it is indeed a grand view of the New River, the oldest river in, in the United States that heads in North Carolina, flows up through Virginia, up into West Virginia, or empties into the Kanawha River and ultimately into the Ohio 
And then, of course, uh, the Ohio converges with the Mississippi. I just saw a, a documentary on YouTube about the town of Cairo, Illinois, and what a ghost town it is now. But that's where the Ohio and the uh, Mississippi come together. But at any rate, um, you know, we we would go coon hunting around what we called the strip. Uh, uh, there would be a road, a shelf around the side of the mountain uh, where they took the coal out on the upper side, shoved the spoil down on the lower side, created a shelf around the side of the mountain. And you could drive a vehicle, and uh, we would typically turn the dogs loose in front of the vehicle and let them uh, range out in front of the, the car or truck as the case may be, and, and uh, hopefully find a coon track. Those coon tracks were very, very few and far between in those days. But I can remember traveling around those old mining operations, seeing the dim lights uh, at maybe the uh, one of the office buildings, uh, at the tipple, the tipple was where the coal was loaded uh, out of the mines on conveyors or by uh, cars that were pulled out, and then they it was either dumped into trucks that hauled it away or dumped into railroad cars. But I remember very well um, hunting around those old coal mining operations. And sometimes the mines would be in operation. Actually, a shift would be working uh, that night while I was there and my friends were around hunting. And I remember very vividly a situation one time, and I will not <laughs> disclose any names, but uh, you can get into situations out there, uh, coon hunting sometimes that you don't really uh, – uh, anticipate. But at any rate, on this one uh, time, I went hunting in an area that I wasn't familiar with, but the friend that I went with uh, was familiar with it. And uh, so anyway, we were hunting this area and the dogs ranged out a long way and got treed. And uh, it was going to be a terrific walk to the dogs. And as we uh, came by this coal tipple, apparently there were a handful of miners that were working on a on a swing shift. I would say this was probably I don't know seven eight o'clock at night, maybe a little later. And uh, as we on our way, trying to walk around this road to get to our dogs. We knew it was going to be a long way and a long way back. Well, right there, parked by the tipple, was a new Dodge pickup truck. And in as we walked by, glancing inside the truck, uh, the keys were in the ignition. Well, my friend, uh, who I... <laughs> I always found when I went hunting with him, there was an adventure to be had of some kind. Well, his idea was, hey, right there's a truck, man. We'll, we'll just jump in that truck, run around there and get our dogs. 
come back, park the truck. Nobody be any worse for uh, for wear or nothing, no problem. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. That's stealing a vehicle. I don't care what you call it, how you sugarcoat it, coat it. Man, I'm having trouble tonight. And these, these, uh, this pollen down here in Florida's got me all clogged up too. I need to call Roto Rooter, I think, for my sinuses. But at any rate, uh, I was able to be the voice of reason, and uh, we did not uh, borrow that truck to go get our dogs. But uh, I honestly believe that uh, if I had not been along, my friend would have. He would have probably done that. Who knows what the uh, consequences might have been from an action like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, coon hunters can do some crazy things sometimes. But anyway, hunting around those uh, strip mines and those uh, old mining operations was, was never dull. Uh, it was rarely fruitful. Uh, this one area that we hunted was called the Garden Ground. Uh, beyond, uh, as you went around the strip, if you climbed over the top of the ridge, it went down onto the face of New River, which is that tremendous gorge that you see from Grandview State Park. And you really do need to go and, and look that over. There's a lot to see in that area as far as uh, you know, scenic uh, beauty and rugged mountain beauty. The New River Gorge Bridge is not far from there. And that whole river has been uh, named a, a national river now. It's like a national park. And uh, at, at Grandview, you overlook what's called Horseshoe Bend. And uh, Horseshoe Bend is just uh, what uh, it sounds like. You can look over and see the... Uh, New River, and it just forms a huge horseshoe as it goes around a point there and and uh, and back down. And uh, there's a railroad track that goes along, as as always is the case in those rivers in the mountains. And uh, just uh, just a really uh, 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 interesting place to be. Uh, a lot of scenery to see and. Uh, I would recommend it highly. As I was uh, kind of thinking back on hunting in those days and how it was, you know, those were the carbide light days for me and the Boatman Dyna light that I used for shining the trees. And, uh, you know, we rarely wore um, le anything but leather boots when we went to the woods. Uh, it was... Uh, uh, you know, we did later on get the Korean-made rubber nine eyelet boots that we'd buy at, like, uh, uh, what was the uh, uh, shoe store there? Uh, uh, there was a, a Payless, I think it was the name of it. But at any rate, uh, leather boots, uh, we didn't, when I got my first pair of Carhartt overalls, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I looked like a coon hunter in the magazines then, and uh, so that was that was quite a 
quite a big deal for me. But I was thinking about, you know, uh, I did something one time where I went back and wrote uh, kind of a bio on what I considered the good dogs that I've owned over the years. And as you know, those dogs were plot dogs. I was very much committed to the plot breed for many, many years. Uh, only a couple times have I kind of strayed away and got involved in the Walker breed. And um, as I have uh, now, I I co-own a Plata and co-own a Walker, so I'm kind of riding the fence there, I guess. But anyway, I wanted to tell you about a Plop female that I owned and my dad owned. We owned our dogs together. Uh, I've told the story, I think, before about the bear pin plots and how, uh, you know, that was my dad's kennel name that he attached to his his breeding uh, efforts and uh, a name for a ridge in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park uh, called Bear Pen Ridge and was written about by Samuel Honeycutt in the book uh, 20 Years Hunting Fishing in the Great Smoky Mountains. But... Uh, I guess the story, this will be the story of Bear Pen Plot Brandy. Uh, Brandy was a female that weighed about 50 pounds. She was a beautiful dog, uh, had that uh, trademark gray muzzle that so many plot dogs had. She was a dark brown brindle. Uh, she had no white, but she did have that frost on her muzzle. Uh, Brandy was born in June of 1979. So, you know, that uh, makes her her story beginning 44 years ago. So we're reaching back a little bit for this one. Uh, The way that Brandy came uh, to live at our house was through a litter that my dad uh, raised by breeding uh, his female named Bear Pen Fancy that he'd gotten from as a puppy from Everett Weems, the uh, legendary plot breeder from Salem, Illinois. Uh, and the sire of that litter was a dog called White Hollow Little Junior, and he was owned by Gene White of Knoxville, Tennessee. Gene was an interesting guy. He worked in the casinos. He worked out in Arizona, different places. He was a big game hunter. He did a lot of bear hunting. Uh, he was a dealer in the at the tables in the casinos. Quiet, uh, soft-spoken guy, hard hunter, bred some really nice plot dogs back in his day. And he lived, uh, his home base was in Knoxville, Tennessee. Well, as I look over the notes that I made uh, some time back about Brandy, uh, I didn't uh, include how we came to uh, decide to, uh, you know, uh, to breed to Little Junior. Uh, There were other popular uh, stud dogs around. Now, Fancy was uh, out of the first litter of the breeding of Weems Plot Butch and Weems Plot Jill. And that became a very famous cross in plot dogs uh, made by Everett Weems. Well, 
we were at Plot Days in Rockville, Indiana. My good friend Larry Everson was uh, vice president when I was uh, president of, uh, of NPHA, and Larry lived in Rockville. But they had a, back in those days, Plot Days drew a lot of people and a lot of dogs. And uh, Plot Days that year was held at the Park County Fairgrounds there in Rockville, which is over on the extreme western side of uh, Indiana along the Wabash River there. And uh, in what typically would happen at Plot Days in those days was they uh, would, would uh, rent a fairgrounds and people would bring their dogs, uh, and they'd bring all their, their plot dogs and put them on display there. And uh, so there were some uh, stock pens in this, bear, in this uh, uh, fairgrounds and barns, so to speak. At any rate, someone had brought a feral hog. We won't call it a wild—well, uh, it was a wild hog, certainly— um, commonly called a Piney Ridge Rooter, I guess. It wasn't a black-looking hog like the Russians. It was a kind of a spotted uh, dude. And uh, he was, uh, oh, I guess three-quarters grown or so and uh, just uh, real salty. He was, he was uh, uh, quite a tough little guy. And uh, guys were putting their... Uh, their dogs in the pen with this hog, especially their pups, to see if uh, they would bay a hog. As you know, a lot of plot breeders are big game hunters. They hunt bear predominantly with the dogs. They also are coon hunters. And, and plots have been used for about everything. They're very uh, much a utility dog. Uh, Back in the early days of the breed, they were used to guard the homestead to bring in the cows and and uh, tree game uh, squirrels and and coons at night and and of course. Well, there's my friend Mickey Mouse checking in from the uh, Apple Watch. Thank you, Mickey. It's good to hear from you. <laughs> anyway. We were there, my dad and I, and we were, and other guys were standing around in the barn and watching these dogs bay these this hog. And uh, Gene White uh, was there, and uh, I noticed Gene all of a sudden just spin on his heel and leave the barn. And I thought, well, I don't know what <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> But at uh, any rate, in a little while, Gene came back, and he had a pair of uh, plot dogs, saddleback-colored dogs. Now, one of them was a buckskin and blackback dog, and the other one was a, a brindle dog with, uh, with the blackback. They were small dogs, oh, 50 pounds probably max, um, Built like plot dogs should, nice high set ear, blocky muzzle, really put together nice. And uh, Gene, I guess, had gotten <laughs> a little bit impatient with watching these dogs that were just 
booger barking at the at this hog. So uh, he came in, and when the, whoever had a dog in the pen got theirs out, he uh, he just tossed his two over in that pen. Now this was uh, these. Pins had like wooden slats around uh, for fence and, uh, you know, sawdust on the floor. And it was a fair size enclosure there. And uh, what I can explain here, and I realize that we don't, uh, well, I, I won't even go there, but what in that day and time, things were a little different than they are now. Let's just put it that way. Those two dogs swarmed that hawk. I mean, swarmed the hawk. There was no standing back, no, no dodging in and out. Uh, they simply went in on that hog, and before you could say hog, one of them had, him, had it by the leg and the other by the ear, and it was a caught hog. And, of course, Gene got in right away, got his dogs off, uh, got them out of the pen, and uh, and took them back to wherever they were being kept. It was an amazing display. You know, it was like the fastest uh, uh, bulldogging event that you've ever seen in your life in rodeo. It reminded me of the... Uh, cartoons back when Dagwood would be fighting with his neighbor and there would be a cloud of dust and you could just see a, a fist flying out one way and a foot flying out the other in the comic strips. There again, I'm dating myself, folks. You don't recall those old comic strips, I'm sure. But at any rate, that grit and agility made an impression on my dad. So when Bear Pen Fancy came in heat the next time, he contacted Gene and made arrangements to go down to Knoxville, Tennessee, and to breed Fancy to uh, White Hollow Little Junior. Now, White Hollow Little Junior was out of White Hollow Junior, which is a dog that's in the MPHA Hall of Fame. And uh, and uh, he was, uh, you know, out of Weemsplot John. And uh, Little Junior was out of a female named Fly. But, uh, I mean, Junior was out of uh, Fly and John. And uh, Little Junior was, of course, out of White Hollow Junior. And a Kermit Allison bred female. Uh, so anyway, the breeding took, uh, and, uh, we got a beautiful litter of puppies and we kept two of them, uh, Brandy, and we kept a male that we called Bear Pen Plot Boss. Uh, Boss was a beautiful hound, made show champion very easily, was later sold to a guy named Jonesy Corth in Wisconsin as a bear dog. But here's about Brandy. She was a chop mouth hound on track and tree. Eight, eight, one. Yeah, I hear you. 
Mickey. And uh, she would give a lot of mouth on track. In fact, uh, she probably opened a little more on track than I like personally. Uh, I've never been a big fan of a dog that just opens every breath on track. Uh, we all like them different ways. And I'm sure some would, uh, would love that. But at any rate, she was absolutely uh, bear crazy. There's no doubt about it. Uh, uh, you know, I saw uh, uh, Brandy one time. Uh, uh, well, I, I'm getting I'm getting ahead of my story. I don't want to tell that part yet. I want to <laughs> want to back up. When she was only two years old, uh, she got hit by a vehicle while she was running a bear in the Lobelia area of Pocahontas County, West Virginia. And uh, she wasn't recovered until several weeks after that. Now, remember, we don't have tracking collars at this time. Uh, and she had apparently uh, laid out uh, in a ba old barn and had been feeding on hog feed because when we found her, she was just mud fat. And we found where she had been, uh, had a path uh, from up in the woods down to this barn. But she just hung around there, I guess, because feet was there. <laughs> she was smart enough to know, and we didn't know where she was, and nobody came to get the poor girl. But unfortunately, you know, when she gotten hit by the car, uh, we knew this because someone told us that they'd hit the dog. Uh, her uh, left rear leg was badly broken in the stifle. And we did have surgery performed on it, but she never did regain a full use of that leg. It was always shorter than the other, and she would drag the toenails off of that foot, and she would kind of drag it along the ground. The toenails were, were worn clear into the, to the foot. Uh, and... Uh, she, you know, when she would run, she would set that leg down enough to get a little push from it, but was never enough to make her fast as she needed to be to run with the pack of dogs that she was running with at that time. But what we would find out about Brandy was that she was a reproducer, and that proved to be her greatest worth. Um I can't overestimate, you know, how well, and she passed this on to her puppies, and uh, uh, she was a hard-fighting bear dog. Uh, remember one December day in on Cold Knob in Greenbark County, West Virginia, we'd treat a bear, and one of the guys in the party, uh, a younger fellow there, uh, the son of one of the older fellows in our in our party, was supposed to shoot the bear, Uh but when the bear, but the bear came out, and Brandy grabbed it right in the rear end, and locked on just as soon as it hit the the ground, and I can remember as if it were yesterday seeing her flipping and flopping like <laughs> like a tin can tied onto a bumper of a car as the bear you know carried her through the woods. Uh, the bear eventually shook free and climbed a tree, and we were able to harvest the bear. But that just showed the grit of Brandy. She was extremely gritty. Um, 
she was bred uh, once uh, to bear pin plots Bronco, my night champion, champion dog that I won the Isaiah Kidd Award. Uh, no, no, I did not. I won the uh, all plot hunt at Plot Days in Michigan in 1986. Uh, but when we bred uh, Brandy to Bronco, and there, there was a lot of similarities in their breeding. Bronco's mother was out of uh, White Hollow Jr. and a Kermit Allison uh, female. So uh, there was a lot of, uh, of common ancestors there. But anyway, when we bred Brandy to Bronco, we got two uh, two males, uh, and I named them, uh, well, they had formal names. One of them was Bearpin Bronco's Pride, and he was a show champion, a beautiful dog, and uh, he took the bears right away. He, he really was a powerful dog, and uh, I remember when he was just a pup training him on coon, uh, how he was hard for me to to handle him around a coon tree um, because he really was powerful and strong. And uh, but anyway, my dad had trouble, and he was getting up in years, and he had trouble handling the dog off of those steep mountainsides in West Virginia. So uh, he decided to make the decision to sell. Uh, Pride. We called him Lefty. There were only two male pups there in that litter, and we named them Poncho and Lefty from the uh, uh, Merle Haggard and uh, Willie Nelson song. Uh, but anyway, we sold the, uh, uh, Lefty or, or Pride to Paul May, uh, who lived there in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and Lefty uh, lived out his life as a bear dog, and, and according to Paul, was a really good one. Uh, uh, in his words, a great bear dog that they enjoyed for several years. Well, then uh, my dad uh, let James Brown of Teleco Plains, Tennessee, take Brandy to raise pups from, and, and she was bred to uh, their uh, James's dog named Thumper. Now, he was a top bear dog, and he was a son of Wings Plot Bandit. Bandit was a, a Butch Jill dog as well. So uh, he would have been a, uh, a brother to the bear pin fancy dog that we had, although not from the same litter. Uh, but Thumper also went back to the bear pin Sam dog, which was our foundation sire for the bear pin dogs, through a dog named Sherwood's Lead. Uh, anyway, uh, this cross to Thumper with, uh, from Brandy and Thumper produced some outstanding bear dogs. Uh, and you can still see some of those dogs and pedigrees now. And, uh, I've talked, you know, to James, I've got a letter in my file here that James wrote to my dad talking about this, these pups out of Thumper and Brandy when they were very young and how well they were doing. And then Bob Giese there in uh, Teleco, Tennessee, uh, had a female named Gabby that was out of that cross of Thumper and Brandy, and she's been inducted into the MPHA Hall of Fame. So, uh, and Bob, you know, he 
I talked to him about Gabby, and he said, well, Steve, in my opinion, she was as good as a bear dog gets. And I guess from a, a guy that with his experience, I'd say that's, that's a real in, endorsement. But it was a shame that Brandy got hurt, you know, right in her prime at two years old and wasn't uh, able to fulfill her uh, role as a bear dog, but she sure did reproduce some nice dogs. I'm going to try to do a little spotlight on some of these old dogs as time goes by, if my listeners will indulge me uh, to do that. Uh, uh, we've uh, kind of been at it here almost an hour. I wanted to mention the fact that my good friend Mark Zapp, Big Mark, that uh, you remember from why, from Wick Outdoor Works and then from Tritronics and uh, is now employed by Garmin. Anybody in the hound world knows Mark. Well, he builds a, a great coon squaller. It's called Zepp's Lifetime Coon Squaller. In fact, he's got a whole line of calls and squallers and such, hunting clothes, uh, just a whole line of stuff at markzepp.com. But anyway, Mark has sponsored our podcast through some Zepp's Lifetime Coon Squallers. These are a $30 retail item. They're all metal. Uh, they uh, have a nice uh, lanyard with a spring uh, on it to secure it to the call, uh, made of paracord, uh, you know, just expertly packaged like anything that Mark touches is going to be top drawer. There's no qu question about it. Uh, this is a three-reed coon squalor. As I said, it, it retails for $30. We're going to give away one of these each week on Facebook, and uh, I'll post a question of the week uh, at Stephen F. Fielder. It'll also be on Coon Hunting Conversations, which is my group page, and also the Gone to the Dogs podcast with Steve Fielder page. You'll see it on there, but there'll be a question each week. You answer that question, send it to me by private message through Messenger or other means, email. Do not post it publicly online, uh, but I'll, I'll put the question, uh, uh, and if you correctly answer it, it'll be taken from the text of the uh, of the. Uh, podcast that week and then we'll put your name on the name of uh, the wheel of names app and we'll spin for a coon squaller each week and then um, at the end of the month we'll put the winner's names on the wheel and we'll spin for a larger prize it may be a quarterly prize i think i said at the end of the month but we'll we'll be doing the larger prize on the quarterly basis but anyway i want to thank our, my good buddy mark Zepp in uh, his Zepp's Lifetime Coon Squalor. Uh, coming up uh, here before we know it, guys and gals, will be Autumn Oaks. This will be the 64th annual Autumn Oaks. It's hard to believe. The first one was in 1960 in Greencastle, Indiana. This will be on Labor Day weekend, as it always is. Uh, and uh, Hopefully, UKC will provide the media area that we had last year. So I'll be there podcasting, recording interviews, just enjoying seeing all of you stop by 
and uh, uh, lo really looking forward to Autumn Oaks this year. Um, I'm working on a Cass Walker project. Uh, Cass Walker was a colorful guy that advertised almost monthly in Full Cry magazine, uh, advertised dogs for sale. He was um, the mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. He owned the Cass Walker Cost Saver Supermarkets. Uh, he is, uh, to say the least, a colorful guy. And there's a lot of stories that surround his life. I read a very interesting book on Cass, and uh, it kind of gave me the idea to put together this uh, this uh, project on Cass. So if you have a good Cass Walker story, uh, somehow you interacted with Cass through maybe the, the sale or purchase of a dog or or you watched his TV programs that aired every morning there uh, on local TV in Knoxville, you're from that area. Whatever you got uh, on Cass Walker, man, I want to talk to you. Contact me again. Social media, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-F, Fielder. And, uh, man, we'll hook up and we'll talk about Cass. He was one more character. Um, you know, folks, I, I uh, probably just drove you in the ground here with uh, with this voice today. But I just wanted to share a little bit with you, my listeners. And, you know, um, as I do these podcasts each week, I'm reminded that I really don't have to work anymore. I don't have to do anything uh, other than what my wife tells me to do uh, and uh, what the government requires me to do. But... Uh, I love the sport of coon hunting. I always have. It's always been just very, very dear to my heart. And uh, my friends that I've made through coon hunting are just so very special to me. And, uh, and you know, I just, uh, I'm really debating as to whether I should carry this on. Uh you know, the people at DU Hunting Supply tell me that uh, the podcasts uh, are very well received. Uh, they give me the numbers, and I know I, we did. Uh, I've been involved in two other podcasts, so I know what those podcasts were capable of producing, and I see what this one is producing, and it's doing very, very well. And it's because of you, the listeners, that I do this. Uh, you know, I don't, I get <laughs> irritated, to be honest. Might as well tell it like it is. When I tune into a podcast and it's one commercial after another, after another, after another. I tried to listen to a new podcast the other day and uh, I ran through the gamut of, of commercials and then lo and behold, they started over and ran through again. And I have never wanted that. And I know that Buddy Woodbury with DU Hunting Supply doesn't require that and doesn't want that uh, type of thing either. I guess that's why I get along so well with these guys. We kind of have the same philosophy. Uh, I do mention DU Hunting Supply because they make it possible for me to get this out to you each week. And I certainly want to thank them each week for that support. But as far as going out and getting together, you know, a light sponsor and a boot sponsor and a dog box sponsor and a, 
and uh, you know this and that and some other gadget and all that stuff well you know i worked for a living and i had a retire a career that was about 33 years in the coon dog business i put a little money away i participated in the retirement programs I'm not waiting till I'm 77 years old to try to make a living off of coon hunters. And that may be harsh, but, I, you know, that's just me. If that is not your bag or not your cup of tea, then, hey, more power to you. I wish you the best. But at any rate, as I think about this, I'm thinking, you know, is it? And I'm not looking for attaboys, not at all, but I'm doing some soul searching. So uh, uh, we'll just see. And as long as I can think of uh, good people, and, and I know that my guests are a lot more interesting than I am, and I will be back next week with a guest for you that you'll enjoy. But I just wanted to spend this week uh, for no other reason, just a little nostalgia trip. I'm sh- certainly looking forward to my trip up to P- Pennsylvania with uh, my friends up there. And we'll certainly have a good time, and I'll have a lot of stuff to report back to you, I'm sure. Uh, Miss Ella fed me so well for dinner, and it's talking to <laughs> me right now. Man, if you don't have a good cook at home, I feel sorry for you. I got one of the best. But uh, we've been at it over an hour, and that's enough rambling for me. As you know, I kind of try to end these things each week by, by uh, uh, using the little tagline, you know, that I've gone to the dogs. But that happened to me many, many years ago when I was just a little kid. And uh, my mother constantly reminded my dad that we'd gone to the dogs. And here I am uh, facing 77 years old, and I'm still going to the dogs. And I hope you'll go with me as long as I'm able. Uh, Have a great week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you down the road.